0: For those of you who uh, have been visiting uh, with us for a while and have not had the pleasure uh, to hear uh, Ken teach, um, you're in for a treat. Um, He has been all over the world, not just the country, but in many, many countries, uh, just um, speaking the gospel, teaching the gospel, and just sharing uh, from his life. Uh, Ken has been a faithful uh, part of this church body for over 40 years, I think, when he was about 10. And he still looks good at 55. So, and I'm saying that because we're... Anyway, Ken's been a, a great friend, uh, not only to Shelly and I, but to many in this church body, uh, as well as a great friend to Grace Bible Church. Um, so I, I'll allow Ken to give you some background. For those of you who have never heard him before... Uh, I think you're in for a treat as he brings God's word in such a way uh, that it uh, he brings it down to a level that's uh, understandable and a uh, different way of teaching, but nonetheless just a powerful way of teaching. So, Brother Ken, come and share. And his lovely wife, Eva, as well. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Who has been faithful as well. <laughs> I apologize. I uh, apologize. Yeah
1: in just a moment Eva is going to read the scripture for us and if you're looking for it it's in Ezekiel chapter 37 uh, I don't want to say a whole lot about what we do but uh, it's been a great year since I was here last year about this time and something new was uh, my son-in-law who's a pastor in England we live in Northern Ireland uh, he has been seven years in his church and they gave him three months off Uh, the idea is usually that you go and study something and get refreshed Uh, he decided for some reason he'd learn more travelling with me than he would going to some university so he did that and and of course the church gave itself three months off from him which which is of course quite important too (coughs) And uh, he went, I sent him first to Hawaii on his own, thought that would be a tough beginning. And then we met up in Cambodia and we had two months together in the Far East. And he ended the trip with a couple of places, uh, Hungary and Poland, where I didn't go but I set it up for him. A very remarkable time. I, I just want to share one incident with you. Three years ago I went to Ukraine for the first time and it was when uh, Mr. Putin was moving some of his Russian troops in there and they were taking over the Crimean Peninsula and we were uh, I was about 50 miles from there. <coughs> and I saw all these people in uniform and I didn't know what language they were speaking, didn't know what side they were on. One morning I was stopped five times on the road by different groups, had no idea who they were. One one group had a tank and uh, this was the fifth group and I was getting kind of tired and messed up so I thought I'd just fool around with these people and happily they were in a good mood. They they let me sit in the tank and play with a gun and and all all that kind of thing. (coughs) But then I uh, was a guest of a pastor called Sergei for uh, a week and he organized lots of meetings for me, mostly in his church and in a Bible school but uh, one evening he took me to a different church and uh, we arrived and the worship team were already on the platform and they were singing some kind of uh, worship songs prior to beginning the actual service and he and I sat on the front row and as we were watching this lady came up on the platform and she had heels that doubled her height when she was wearing the shoes and she had chiffon trailing miles behind her and about two pounds of makeup stuck on the face and huge false eyelashes and when she blinked I could feel the draft from the front row and I turned to Sergei and I said who on earth is that? and he said that is the pastor laughter I thought he was joking but he wasn't (laughs) and uh, after the service she took us to her apartment where she lived with two children (coughs) and uh, gave us a very fine dinner and I learned a bit about her life story she and her husband had actually started the church and then he took a fancy for alcohol followed up with drugs and then other women and finally disappeared and after he left it was discovered the church had serious financial debts and that his wife was left with two children and family debts and in despair she turned to God and said God what what are we going to do and he said we are going to rebuild and uh, he used her to rebuild that church and also rebuild a family and they're all out of debt and the church doing reasonably well But also, and I'll probably show this on on Wednesday if we can do it, (coughs) during the warm weather in the summer, she does a children's outreach and she has over 3,000 children (laughs) in the outreach that coming to uh, find Jesus and really have a great time. It's an incredible video. Anyway, (coughs) Steve and I were back there. That's my son-in-law, Steve. this year and I haven't told him the story and we were with Sergei again for the week and he brought us to that church and the worship team were on the platform we were on the front row and the lady came up on the platform Steve turned to me and said who on earth is that? (laughs) And uh, I'm saying this because it really doesn't matter who you are what you look like what other people think about you and how difficult your circumstances there's no limit to what God can do with you Ezekiel is the classic book on revival and Eva is going to read the classic chapter out of the classic book
2: the title is The Valley of Dry Bones the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. A rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says come from the four winds. Breath and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and stood on their feet, a vast army. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you.
1: So who was Ezekiel? Well, he lived... um, about 600 years before Jesus, he was born in Jerusalem and he was a priest. The priesthood, of course, was inherited, and so his father was a priest, and from birth he was groomed to become a priest when he would begin his work and his ministry. But he never functioned as a priest. Because when he was still a young man, before he was ready to actually assume the role of priesthood, (coughs) he was taken away captive to Babylon, along with 10,000 other men. And they were slave hostages in Babylon. Babylon is 836 miles east and north (coughs) from Jerusalem. And they walked. They were in columns of 100 men and they were connected by an iron collar around the neck with a hook at the back pushed through the face of the men behind. It was designed to crush the spirit and make all thought of escape um, impossible <coughs> and just to grind them right down and to show the superiority of Babylon. They probably thought when they left Jerusalem that it was the greatest city on earth but it was like a backward village compared to Babylon. Babylon was the wealthiest empire of the ancient world and uh, not all that strong militarily but it was the number one power of the time. It was also extremely cultured. They had a kind of central heating. They had a kind of sewage system. They had a sort of university system that Daniel and his three friends were put into. And the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The walls around the city of Babylon were 297 feet high. They were tapered toward the top, but there were still houses built on top. And there was space for four chariots to race abreast around the 15 miles, 15 miles, 15 miles, 15 miles, 60 miles round the top. <clears throat> and seeing the immense wealth and culture of the number one world power, these slaves felt useless. It was bad for all of them. Uh, the psalmist says, we hung our harps on the willow trees by the rivers of Babylon, sat down and wept. <coughs> they weren't exactly in a state of revival. It was worse for Ezekiel and for most because he was supposed to be a priest. And he had been educated with that expectancy, but a priest had to be without any physical defect And when that hook was pushed through his face, that would mean he could never function as a priest. And his career was shot. in the moment that that happened to him. (coughs) And so he's among the slaves by the rivers in Babylon, depressed, hopeless, feeling useless, also knowing that this had happened largely because they had been disobedient to God and he had removed his protection from them and so this is what had happened to them and they, most of them didn't think that there was any hope of restoration. So, uh, you may not feel great this morning but I think you probably feel better than Ezekiel did. <laughs> I hope you do. If not, don't come and see me. I don't want to see you. God took Ezekiel on a tour of the boneyard. it wasn't a very inspiring tour, it's not the kind of thing you do with tourists, (coughs) and all he saw was heaps and heaps of bones. Lots of them, numbers were great, but that was all. The bones were disconnected, they were just in random heaps, and it would be a mammoth, three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle to get them back together again, wouldn't it? And as he looks at them, he describes them like this, bones that were very dry. What does it represent? We're not left to guess because God tells Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel not just those who were slaves in Babylon, but those who were still back in Jerusalem. The whole house of Israel, all of God's people. And he said, uh, the bones are talking. (laughs) They're saying, we're all dried up and the hope is gone when they say we're all dried up there is one word in Hebrew which needs to cover two concepts vitality and moisture when you think about the geography of the country it's not hard to realise why <coughs> they were very dependent on rainfall, as California is. And when you don't get any rainfall or snowfall, things get pretty serious, only you proclaim a drought. <coughs> and if there's no rain, the grass doesn't grow. If the grass doesn't grow, the cattle don't grow. The deer don't grow. The corn doesn't grow. The rice doesn't grow. Nothing grows. And there's no food. The animals die and the people die. So the idea of moisture and vitality are very closely interlinked. (coughs) And that's what they're saying. We're all dried up. We have no vitality. And I would like you to do a little personal examination and I'm not talking about your physical health but how's your vitality this morning? How is your spiritual vitality this morning? Are you excited about getting into the work of God? Do you have energy for his cause? Or do you have energy for everything else except that? Sometimes I see people displaying amazing energy on bicycles. Uh, are now running <laughs> and all kinds of energy for sitting down in a seat and cheering on a football team if you have one which is a bit doubtful in this area at the moment I understand <coughs> but <laughs> energy for all kinds of hobbies and interests and career maybe family, grandchildren Oh, all kinds of energy how much energy for Jesus they're saying we're all dried up and our hope is gone and hope in this context is what are you expecting to see God do Because you're working closely with him. You know what his program is for you. You know what he intends to do. He said he's going to do it. You know he's going to do it because he said so. And you can't wait to see it. What are you expecting God to do in your life and in this church and in this community? It's my privilege to visit your country every once in a while, about twice a year. And I've seen, on the whole, a decline in hopefulness. I don't want to explore that too far, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And people's expectation is not very high. They've lost the hope they used to have. So what are you expecting God to do in your life? And then they said something else. We're all dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. It's a strange expression, isn't it? We are cut off. It wasn't just that the bones were all individual bones and not connected. But once a year in Israel they have what they call the Day of Atonement. and they take uh, two sacrifices, a lamb and a goat. The lamb is killed and is used for the Passover. The goat is taken by the high priest who represents the whole nation. In fact, he carries on his shoulders and on the breastplate, the names of all tribes of Israel. He represents the whole nation. And he confesses over the goat the sins of the people of the past year. Don't think he goes individually, person by person, or (coughs) it could take a long time, couldn't it? Three million people in a year's sins. But somehow or other, symbolically the sins of the people are taken off them onto their priest and onto the goat and then the goat is taken into the desert and turned loose and it runs off into the desert carrying the sins of the people with it only it wasn't called a desert it was called a land cut off a land with which there is no communication The picture being your sins have been taken away and cannot come back again to accuse you and you can't go after them and find them. It's over. And Isaiah picks up on this thought when he says in his amazing prophecy about the one who is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, he was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus carried your sin into a place that is cut off and those sins can no longer accuse you. Or to use another picture, he has thrown them into the depths of the sea and stuck a notice on the beach, no fishing. <laughs> but this, the people are saying this about themselves. We feel cut off. We feel we've gone out there into the desert and there is no way back for us. We can't communicate with God anymore. Pretty hopeless picture. Heaps of dried up bones. Not one healthy one among them. We're all dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. And then... God says to Ezekiel son of man can these bones live? (laughs) what would you think if it was you? because it is you (laughs) and God is saying to you about your situation can these bones live? Ezekiel doesn't like the question much. See, if you were thinking about beginning a missionary career, would you want to begin it in this boneyard? <laughs> or would you like prefer to join some kind of vigorous, gung-ho movement that's really exciting already? Because it doesn't look very encouraging, does it? needy (laughs) is, son of man can these bones live Ezekiel I think doesn't really want to get involved in this situation (laughs) it's somebody else's problem isn't it why should it be his and he's got to answer God because God always wants an answer when he asks you a question can these bones live and Ezekiel thinks he's found the perfect answer. It is respectful. It is theologically accurate. But he thinks it gets him off the hook. Son of man, can these bones live? O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. <laughs> Isn't that great? He's a theologian, you see. He's even a, a Calvinistic theologian. Oh, Sovereign Lord. (laughs) And he's kind of dumping the problem back on God. (laughs) And he's not volunteering for this mission. But you may have noticed this. When you have a sort of difference of opinion with God, (laughs) you never win, do you? (laughs) And he's made two fundamental mistakes. See, When he says, you alone know... (laughs) then he can't argue can he if you've admitted to God you're the only one that knows then your opinion doesn't count for much does it and when you say oh sovereign Lord what does that mean (laughs) you do as you're told so Ezekiel has just cut the ground from under his own feet and God turns it back on him again and says good go and prophesy to the bones could God manage without Ezekiel of course he could but he's not going to could he manage without you yes he's got. he's not going to you have to be part of this so go and prophesy to the bones I'm not sure how Ezekiel did it I suspect he sort of tiptoed up to a few of them looked round to make sure nobody was watching because he was going to look awfully stupid prophesying to a bunch of bones that weren't going to do anything <coughs> and then he probably whispered poems? hey poems? <laughs> just in case there was somebody he hadn't seen who was listening <coughs> but at least he's obedient and as Ezekiel prophesies to the bones the first thing that happens is there's a rattling sound, and the bones came together. And they were all joined up. <coughs> and there's a song, and I don't know the politically correct term for these kind of songs. <coughs> they used to be called Negro spirituals. I don't think you're supposed to say that anymore. <coughs> but anyway, it was on these spiritual songs sung by African Americans. Uh, the head bones connected to the neck bone, etc. And all these bones started shuffling around and came together. And that's always the first thing that happens when revival takes place. The bones get connected. And I've never really seen revival. I think the nearest I ever saw to it took place in Huntsville, Alabama. And there's a church there I used to visit quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) and um, my original connection were two girls, both called Karen, who came to Bible school in Sweden. And I taught them there, and after that they conned their pastor into inviting me to go there. And the mother of one of them was the worship leader. And she was a tall, elegant lady with a marvelous voice. (laughs) And... um, the first time I was there in that church she sang a solo just before I was due to preach and uh, very moving and put the congregation in contact with God and it was very easy to speak after that and after I'd finished preaching she came back on the platform and I assumed she was going to sing another song but she looked around the church and there were probably 600 people there And she said, I need for y'all to pray for me because I'm having a real hard time lacking somebody here in this church. (laughs) Things got pretty quiet. (laughs) And everybody was listening. And suddenly a woman about the third row stood up and said, It's me, ain't it? And the soloist says, well, since you ask, yes it is. And the other woman said, I knew it because I hate you. I hate you because you're beautiful. I hate you because you sing so good. I hate you because I can't find nothing wrong with you. And then she burst into tears and said, "And I can't live this way. And she came out and knelt at the altar rail, and the soloist went and knelt next to her and put her arm around her. And then a man got up from one side of the church, walked over to a man on the other side of the church and they sat next to each other in their seats and bowed in prayer. And it was really quiet. After a while there were six pairs of people praying together. That was Sunday morning. Tuesday evening, the pastor was driving me out to where I was staying. And he said, you know, I'm really embarrassed. (laughs) And I said, why? (laughs) He said, well, everybody we've been praying for has got saved. I said, and that's embarrassing. He said, well, yeah, it's only Tuesday and the meetings run through till Friday. not a bad problem to have (laughs) not quite revival but the beginning the bones came together and I don't know where you are in this equation but if God is talking to you about this do something because it might just be that you're the obstruction preventing revival revival So the bones came together and they were beautifully organized skeletons but they didn't look very well nourished. (laughs) And uh, (coughs) we know a lot about nourishment these days, don't we? (laughs) Some of us know rather more than we'd like to know. (coughs) And you'll no doubt be familiar with a, a condition called anorexia where people don't eat don't think too many of you have that problem looking around (coughs) and I certainly don't (coughs) (coughs) but it doesn't happen in poor countries it doesn't happen in poor families anorexia is a kind of condition where there's lots of food around but you don't eat And you lose weight and it can kill you. And I have this sense that there's a serious amount of spiritual anorexia. It isn't that there's no food available, there's loads of food available. There's good teaching here in this church or whatever church you go to. You can hear it on the radio and get it on the television, no end of books. And courses getting Get it on the internet from all over the world. Wonderful men of God, women of God, teachers who really teach the Word. The problem with anorexia is that you don't eat. Or the opposite that you stuff yourself but don't digest. And all this information comes at you but you don't digest it. What is your spiritual food? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And I know you know how to eat. And... uh, If I go home after a mission (coughs) which I've been a couple of weeks and not been fed at all and Eva prepares a meal for me, I don't sit down at the table and analyze it (laughs) and ask her where she bought it or how she cooked it or what the nutritional balance is. (coughs) She didn't cook it for that reason. she cooked it so I would eat it. And when I eat it, I deliberately take it and let it become part of me. And we know we need to feed we need to feed fairly regularly. Most of us eat every day. <laughs> Some of us three times a day. In England, they like, like to eat five times a day. <laughs> And we deliberately take this food, whatever it is, and we let it become part of us. And Jesus is the bread of life. And he says, if you eat me, you will live because of me, just as I live because of my Father. John 6, verse 57. the whole secret of the life of Jesus wasn't Jesus, it was the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's my life. And I want to be your life the same way that he is my life. And if you eat me, and it's in a continuous tense, if you eat me and keep on eating me, you will live and keep on living because of me just as I live and keep on living because of him. He is the one that makes me different in a world full of dead people. So that you look at Jesus, and John says, in him was life. Of course. Came from the Father. I live because of the Father. And if you feed on me, you'll live because of me. And so you come through the Bible, which is a revelation we 've been given, and the Bible is not the truth, okay? The Bible is not the truth it 's the truth about the truth, because Jesus is the truth. I am the way the truth and the life, and you come through the truth of the truth, of the truth to the truth, which is Jesus. And you digest Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's the everlasting father. He's the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. And you feed on Jesus. You let the scripture enlarge and clarify your picture of Jesus. And you look at Jesus, and your faith is fed as you look at him. And he becomes part of you. And in your hunger and simplicity and need, you let him feed you and nourish you. (coughs) So now here we've got well fed corpses, (laughs) lots of them, all over the place. And God says to Ezekiel, prophesy again. And he prophesies to the wind, or if you like, the breath. In Hebrew, there's one word to cover three ideas. Wind, breath, spirit. Same word. (coughs) So in Genesis, God breathed, into Adam's nostrils the breath of life or the spirit of life and Adam became a living soul and as Ezekiel prophesies again the wind blows the breath of God breathes over the corpses and they come alive and they stand up a vast army ready to go into battle ready to serve under the king of kings. And if ever there was a time when we should recognize that we're in a battle, this is it. Huge battle worldwide between the God of creation and the usurper, Satan. And it's played out in all kinds of small battles in your house in your street, in your country. And there are signs that the battle is reaching its climax. A lot of countries closing up that used to be open. In Russia, now, it's illegal to preach the gospel anywhere except in your own church even on a one-to-one basis. They just passed the same law in Moldova about a month ago. A friend of mine distributes Samaritan's Purse gifts, the shoeboxes at Christmas, somewhere between five and 7,000 of them. And they were really excited about having all these to give to children in hospitals throughout the country. Uh, when this law was passed and they could give the boxes but they couldn't say anything about Jesus. Places shutting down. The battle is intensifying. (coughs) Are you ready for it? Hey. If you don't get into battle you won't see a victory, will you? In fact, I guarantee you, if you don't go into battle, all you see is defeat. (coughs) And what a wonderful opportunity to serve the King of Kings and to go with him in the battle for the salvation of his world. The mission field might look seriously discouraging, (laughs) heaps of dried up dislocated bones we're all dried up our hope is gone we're cut off (laughs) so guess what you go and prophesy to the bones can they live? (laughs) not without him they can can he do it? can he? yes he can your privilege and mine to be part of it. God bless you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ken, for sharing this morning, and. Uh